Greet each one in Jesus' precious name this evening. You may open your Bibles to John chapter 14, where our theme verse comes from tonight. We're looking at the subject of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Last night we looked at the Holy Spirit being sent. We looked at Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, and what that means for us tonight. We want to talk about the Spirit teaching. John chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. He shall teach you all things. Do we have need to be taught tonight by the Holy Spirit? Yes, we do. And then one of the problems that we have, sometimes after we are taught, then we forget what we were taught. But did you notice what the verse said? The work of the Holy Spirit is to teach us, number one, and then to remind us what he taught us. Bring it to our remembrance whatsoever. And this verse says that he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. The Holy Spirit's work, Jesus said, would be to remind them of what Jesus taught and would teach them more, help them to understand God and the work of God on their behalf. Now, go back with me just uh, two chapters to John chapter 12. And we'll read a verse and notice that the disciples who lived with Jesus and walked with Jesus, they needed the Holy Spirit to help them because some things they didn't understand the days they happened right when Jesus was there. John chapter 12 verse 16 says, this is, a, this is the story of the children, the people uh, put, throwing down the palm branches as Jesus rode in to Jerusalem on the colts, and uh, they cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And um, verse 16 said, These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, and that's referring to him going to the Father so he could send the Holy Spirit, when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that, the, and that they had done these things unto him. It was only that day of that triumphal entry into Jerusalem, there was a lot of puzzlement on the disciples' part. And there were some things they just didn't connect the dots. There on the day of Pentecost, Peter immediately went back to Joel and said, right there it is. And he explained Pentecost. But here, they didn't connect the dots at first. It was only after the Holy Spirit came that they said, you know what? This was written about him. The prophets talked about this. This is what they did that day. And it's just a beautiful picture because I know what it feels like to be hearing something, maybe reading a passage, hearing something, and suddenly the light comes on and you say, well, where was I all this time? And I believe that's what happened to the disciples. They walked with Jesus. They saw this triumphal entry. And one day after the Spirit was here with them, they said, brethren, this is what happened. Look at this. And it made sense to them. Such a beautiful picture of the work of the Holy Spirit in teaching. And it began with the disciples. It began early. And if the disciples needed the Holy Spirit to teach them things that Jesus was doing and teaching as he walked with them, surely we need the Holy Spirit today to teach us, the, teach us about the Father. Tonight, one of the questions that I wrestle with, and I don't have an answer for it, is this question. How much does the Holy Spirit do for me like even in a service like this, what difference does it make? You know, if you go, 
get an eye exam. I don't know how your eye doctor does it, but they often have lenses that you're looking through, and then our eye doctor says, um, does it look better this way or this way? Try it like this or like that. Do you like number one or do you like number two? I wonder what would happen if we could back the Holy Spirit out for half an hour tonight, out of this service, out of your life. And as we would read the scriptures, he would be missing, gone, not here. I, I don't know what that would feel like. I wonder, I wonder if we do not give the Holy Spirit enough of credit for our understandings, our thoughts. As I thought about this, you know, there's times to see, you know, this, this thought came to me. Well, the Holy Spirit, and we'll see this a little later, but the Holy Spirit loves to be the silent witness of the Word of God, the silent teacher, and He doesn't want to draw attention to Himself. And so maybe the Holy Spirit is just happy to have it that way. But I really wonder how much difference, what kind of impact, what would change if for one day the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to the cabin, do without me, I'll be back tomorrow. I really think the Holy Spirit does more for us in teaching us and helping us to understand the Word of God than we really realize. And we ought to, we ought to bless God for the provision of the Holy Spirit because I believe that His work in teaching us and helping us to understand Scripture is phenomenal, is tremendous. <clears throat> it's really hard to quantify. It's really hard just to measure and, and I believe that God wants it to be that way, but he wants us to glorify him. Now, maybe, maybe that will help us to understand why at times when we minister to an ungodly person, why sometimes they seem so hard, why sometimes they seem so, so unable to understand. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but you, you lay out the simple plan of salvation and it just doesn't connect. And it's just blank. It's just not much pull there. Or some other scriptural thought or some challenge to them. And it just seems like they can pass right by. Now the Holy Spirit is here to convict and to draw the sinner. But you know, the Bible talks about people getting to the place where the Holy Spirit is mostly silent. I don't know that I fully understand that. That's a whole other subject. But you can do things to the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit begins to back away and say you're on your own. Giving, um, the Bible talks about giving individuals over to a reprobate mind. Possibly, possibly that's somewhat of a picture of what it would be like completely minus the Holy Ghost. Well, I'm just so glad that the Holy Ghost does not take vacation. I'm just so glad that he's here because if I knew I was coming to church tonight and the Holy Ghost would not be here to help minister to your heart through the word of God, it'd be a waste to come. It'd be a waste to come because I'm not able to take the word of God in a, I don't know what to say it, but it, how to say it, but in a, in a way that can, can meet the needs of your heart like the Holy Spirit can. We'll talk about that a little later. Point number one in tonight's message comes from John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verse 26. John 15 verse 26 says, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, he shall testify of me. The first point I'd like us to think about in tonight's message is that the Spirit's focus is to draw men to Jesus Christ. Um, John chapter 16, verse 14, Jesus said, He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. Well, we could have read the verse 13. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. That's tomorrow morning's message. For he shall not speak of himself. 
He's not going to talk about himself. He's not going to draw attention to himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And so the Holy Spirit's intention, is his purposeful intention, is to be silent, mostly unseen, in the background, exalting the Father and Jesus Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He is sent to draw the whole world toward the Father, to convict them of sin, to turn their eyes heavenward. And then for the believer, he's here to teach us, to show us the Father, and to help us to understand God. His focus is to draw men to Christ. Never are we commanded or directed to worship the Spirit. Nowhere does he seek to receive the attention this is one of the places where one of the tests that you can put to those who would claim some kind of special spirit in filling is does the spirit get the attention or does Jesus Christ get the attention? What is the rallying point? What is the highlight? Where is the focus? And um, suddenly you can start to see is it really what Jesus taught? Jesus said it. The Spirit won't be here talking about Himself and manifesting Himself. The Spirit will be here showing the Father. Showing the Father. And so the Spirit's focus is to draw men to Christ. To draw the sinner to Christ. Bring conviction. But then also as saints, as children of God, as we walk through this, battle of life there are times when we take our eyes off of jesus and we shouldn't we don't want to but we get we get sidetracked or something of the world catches our eyes or our flesh prompts us and we sin we do wrong and the spirit is there to say that's not what a child of god should do there's to be there's conviction there Convicting and saying, look, and you know, the same way that we get saved in the first place is the way that we stay saved as we live our Christian life. We got saved by confessing our sins, confessing Jesus Christ, faith in the blood, and that's how we stay saved. First John talks about if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. And so... The Spirit's focus is to draw men to Christ and keep them connected to Christ and keep us worshiping Christ and understanding who Christ is. The second point of tonight's message, I'd like to go back to Revelations chapter 2 and 3. We're not going to read much here, but I'd like to point our attention there. Revelation chapter 2. Listen to chapter 2, verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And verse 11 says the same thing. Chapter 2, verse 17 says the same thing. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. In verse 29 he says, the same thing, chapter 3, verse 6, and verse 13, and verse 22. How many times must he say it? Listen, this point is that the Spirit speaks to the churches. Now, we have, this, we have the Spirit speaking to the seven churches here of Revelation. And I believe that those were literal churches. I believe they also could possibly be uh, periods of time, each one of those churches could represent a church age since then, possibly. I've heard it applied that way already. But I believe that one of the things that the Spirit does is speaks to the churches. It is the work of the Spirit to, to minister to the church. To, you see, the church is the body of Christ. And as the Spirit teaches... And as the Spirit reveals things that shouldn't be, if you read each of these messages to the churches, the Spirit says, this is what's wrong in this church, and this is what's right. You know why? Because the Spirit knows. 
And it's the Spirit's work to reveal trouble and to show when all is well and to speak peace to hearts that are following God. And so the Spirit knows the condition of the church. There is nothing hidden from His eye. One of the things that is challenging or, may I say, frustrating with church administration as men called to lead a flock and to watch for souls, sometimes we see something in an individual's life and we're uncomfortable. It doesn't look good. It looks like a heart that's turning away from God. But we don't really know for sure. I can't see the heart like God can see it. I stand at the back of the church and I shake hands and sometimes I see something that grieves me. But I don't know for sure what's there. But not so with the Holy Spirit. He knows exactly what's there. As he moves around in this church, nothing in our lives is hidden from him. He could write the commentary of your life on the white wall up front here, and he would be 100% accurate. He could. He could say, put your name up there, and he could write just like he did about the church at Ephesus. This is what's wrong, and this is what's good. This is what's needy. He could say, you must repent or I'll take you away. The Spirit knows that tonight. Are you okay with that? Are you okay coming into the presence of God with such a powerful being here? Well, that's part of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes in our humanity and being used to the fact that you can't see into my heart, I think sometimes we kind of think that we can live that way and go to church that way and, and walk through life that way and forget that we're not fooling God. You know, you can fool some of the people all of the time. You can fool all of the people some of the time. But we can fool God none of the time. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. He speaks to the churches. What does that mean? Well, I believe that, that the Spirit of God works as individuals prepare to preach across this pulpit. I don't know you all very much. Uh, I don't know what needs you struggle with. And I might come across a point that's very straightforward on something that's going on in the congregation because the Spirit of God sent me there. It's actually nice. It's actually a good thing to have speakers come in that don't know the congregation because they can speak freely. And sometimes we receive it better because we know they don't know what's going on. Sometimes it's harder to preach on the need that I know is in our home congregation. And it's sometimes difficult to be compassionate and and speak the word of God in such a way that it is received. But the spirit of God speaks to the churches. And so he, he brings messages. He brings devotionals. He brings uh, Sunday school thoughts. And somebody here with a need says, that's for me. I, I connect with that. He speaks to the churches. Well, let's go back to Romans chapter 8 on this point. There's a... Um, verse here that I'd like to uh, read two verses well Romans chapter 8 verse 27 says and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God and you see what verse comes next? We know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. But verse 27 says, He that searcheth the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. He makes intercession. The Spirit of God knows the mind of God and the hearts of man. He knows the will of God and the hearts of women. And he is at work 
He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And so the Spirit speaks to the churches and ministers and intercedes. Makes intercession for us. In verse 26, he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I believe this, will, this verse will refer to in another message, but notice the fact that we have an intercessor on earth, the Holy Spirit, and we have an intercessor in heaven, Jesus Christ, at the right hand of the Father. How many more intercessors do we need? We should be thankful to God for what he has provided for us. In fact, the spirit here living within our hearts, he understands our frustration and he is able to take what we can't put in words and tell it to God with groanings that we couldn't even understand. And so it's all right in prayer sometimes to simply sigh. Do you ever do that? Do you ever start, oh Lord, God, where are you in this? That's all right. It's an all right prayer. The Spirit of God can take that and intercede and put it in words that we don't even know what we should pray for as we ought. What does that do for us? Well, so the Spirit speaks to the churches. Number three. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians 3, the point here, point number three, is that the Spirit teaches the believer through the Word. Second Corinthians 3 contrasts the ministration of, of death, the law. We see that in verse 7. Um, he says, But if the ministration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious... So that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? And so there's this contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. But you get down to verse 18. Well, let's start with verse 14. This is talking about the Jewish people and struggling to understand uh, the law and the prophets. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. I'm not sure what you think of when you see, read verse 18. Talking about with open face beholding the, as in a glass, as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Uh, James talks about looking into the word like looking into a mirror. And I like to think about verse 18. One, one of the places that we see the glory of the Lord is looking into his word. Now we see the glory of the Lord in nature. We see the glory of, Lord, of the Lord sometimes in, in a storm and in, in, in some of those kinds of things. But one of the great places to see the glory of the Lord is looking into this book. And he says when we behold in a glass the glory of the Lord... When you look at that glory long enough, you begin to be like that image. And so the Spirit teaches the believer through the Word. He says that you look in this, this mirror, this glass, and you're changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so the Spirit does something with this. As you look into the mirror, as you look into this Word, and the Spirit says, uh-huh, do you see yourself there? I don't know, I hope that happens to you quite frequently. It does to me. You're reading along and you say, that's me. That's a message for me. Maybe it's a promise for me to give me courage. Maybe it's a commandment that I ought to do better at obeying. 
And so the Spirit teaches the believer through the words. The Word of God is a mirror of God. And there we see the glory of God. And this Word changes us into the image of God. Do you and I appreciate the power of the Word enough? Do we, do we give it its rightful place in our heart? Now, James talks about a person who is a forgetful hearer. It's like a man who looks in the mirror and sees that his hair is out of place and he leaves and ignores it and doesn't comb it. And you say, well, that's foolish. And he likens it to the word. We ought to be looking into the mirror to see who am I? Now, I want to ask you something. Where do you have your mirrors in this place? Do you have them up front here? Do you come up front of the church to look in the mirror? Now you have them down back in the restroom, right? You go down, you go to a private spot and look in the mirror and fix things before you come into public. Just so the word of God you have at home in your private closet. And you, you and I can look into that mirror when we're by ourselves and let the spirit of God smite our heart for something that needs to, maybe it's selfishness. And you know what? If we change it there, when we appear in public, we can be less selfish. But sometimes we just ignore that mirror in private. And we go out into public and our brothers and sisters see, this is a needy heart. This is a selfish man. And so I'd just like to encourage us to allow the Spirit of God to change us into the image of God and spend time in the Word. I'm not knocking church services, but take time in the Word personally that we can be made into the image of God because I want to tell you something. When that is happening, it adds something to the collective worship experience. It really does. The Spirit teaches the believer through the Word. <clears throat> well, if you back up to verse 2 and 3 in this uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul starts off in verse 1 and talks about talks about his work and, and kind of touches on this subject about commendation. How can you tell if a preacher is doing what he should be doing? If he should be commended for his labors. And in verse 2, he says, Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. That verse became precious to me because, look, this is what he's saying. He's saying that the Corinthian church... He was called of God to minister to the Corinthian church. And he said to them, you are, you are the proof of my labors. But it's not my power in my hands. It's the work of the Holy Spirit at work in your hearts. The law of God written in your hearts, doing something with the life. But the minister has something to do in ministering the word and bringing the bread and the spirit of God does the rest. It's such a measly little part that we do as in preaching and the spirit works way beyond that. And Paul just reckoned with this fact that the Corinthians lives were the epistle of Paul. You look at a congregation and you can know something about the leadership by what's in the congregation. You can know something about what they're teaching and preaching because the Spirit of God will take the Word of God if it's being taught in its pureness and do something. That should be an encouragement for pastors and bishops and deacons because this Word is powerful and it will change lives. Our calling is to preach it clear and plain and simple that it can be understood and the Spirit of God will do things for our people that we can't do. I remember many years ago, there was an um, older bishop in our conference. He's dead and gone uh, maybe 12, 15 years, Brother Aaron Shank. I remember being at a place one time as a young married man, we were a number of us visiting, and somebody asked Brother Aaron, he said, how 
how do you ever sleep at night being a bishop? With, with all the care of the churches and the problems, how do you ever sleep at night? I, I thought about this last summer when I was ordained bishop. I remembered this story. And Aaron said this. He said, well, it's just like this. I had to learn that each night as I lay down, as I get to my bed, I kneel beside my bed. He said, I have this imaginary bucket beside my bed. And I just tell the Lord that I'm gonna, I'll put all my troubles in that bucket and I'll let him tend them for tonight because I need to sleep. I need, my body needs rest. Lord, I'll put all these cares in that bucket. You tend them overnight. And I'll pick up whatever you want me to pick up in the morning. And somebody said, did the Lord ever fix anything in the bucket overnight? And he said, yes, he does. There's many things that were fixed from the bucket overnight in a better way than he could have done it. There's a lesson for us in that. It's a hard lesson to learn because sometimes we think we have to do everything and we mess up the work of the Holy Spirit. So Paul said, there's a part for the pastor, there's a part for the word, and the Holy Spirit works within hearts and writes the law there. And, and one day you look and you say, the Spirit of God is in this place. The word of God is being taught. These people love the Lord and they understand it because the of the work of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> well, see, verse 6, he says, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth and the Spirit giveth life. So the Holy Spirit helps to enable ministers to be able ministers of this covenant and teach it. He's empowering the preacher. Well, that's the message on empowering. He's empowering the preacher. He's at work in the people. And... He's using the word to teach. The fourth point, I'd like to go to Ephesians chapter 5. I'd like to read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 to 21. <clears throat> and this may seem a little strange to you, but I think there's a point here that we do well to ponder. Ephesians 5, 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. No wine, but Holy Spirit filled. And immediately after that, it's not even another sentence, he says, he starts talking about singing, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks Okay, singing thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ooh, and then he goes submitting. I want you to notice singing, giving thanks, and submitting. This point is that the Spirit teaches the believer through singing. But there's an interesting lineup of three things. Now let's go to Colossians chapter 3. I don't know that I understand fully why these, this, these three are lined up in these two passages, but Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him, Wives, submit. You have this singing, thanks, and submitting one to another. I believe that the Spirit teaches the believer through singing. Back in Ephesians 5, he said, we're not supposed to be drunk. Don't be drunk with wine, because there's excess. There's sin and wickedness, but be filled with the Spirit. And he said that one one authentic expression of being filled with the Spirit is singing. That's not the only authentic expression. Galatians tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. That's an expression of the Spirit. But one authentic expression of the Spirit-filled life is singing. Now, what does singing and liquor have in common? How come singing and wine are 
like contrast it. Don't have wine, but be filled with the Spirit and sing. Well, <clears throat> if I had a whiteboard, I'd put up three circles. One big circle and put the body, body in the outside and then another circle uh, and spirit and then the inner circle, soul. We're made up of body, soul, body, spirit, soul. Three parts. A worldly person is going through life and the soul doesn't feel too well. So he turns to wine for the body to try to smooth the soul. Now, one of the things that happens though, when he turns to wine and drinking, what is often going on at a bar, they're often singing. There's often music. Why? Because he's trying to find rest for his soul. And what does he sing? What does a drunken man sing? He sings about his vice. He sings about his sin. He sings about, well, you know what the worldly songs are. If you've heard any of them, you know what the lyrics are. If you paid any attention in stores, he sings about his debauchery because he's trying to find rest for his soul. But let's go over to the Christian. He says, don't do that. Be filled with the spirit and sing. Now, sometimes we are weary and we are discouraged and we need, may I say we need someone else to sing for us to speak to our heart. I do that sometimes. Turn uh, singing on in my vehicle or we come to church and my soul may be struggling so bad I'm not sure that I have much of a song. And, and the church, maybe it's even a funeral. And there's so much sadness in my heart. I don't know if I can sing. And the church begins to sing. And there's peace comes from the outside, from the body, through the ears, in through to my soul, through singing. He says, be filled with the spirit. So a spirit-filled soul then turns around and sings. How long does it take you to join in in singing Whenever you have the spirit of God within your heart and uh, the joyful sound is being sung. You know what? We were at the school program uh, Thursday night. We had our school program at Jonestown. And, I, you know, the children up front there are supposed to be singing. And I can't hardly keep quiet. I was just, you know, I had to hum along because something in me said amen. And I wanted to sing because of the spirit of God. And so for the Christian... There are times that music comes to us from the outside and soothes our soul. And there are times that our soul raises a song to God and soothes the body. And it brings our emotions, our body, soul, and spirit at rest through singing. And we speak to one another through singing. It's, so what does a Christian sing about? He sings about God. He sings about holiness. He worships God. It's a totally different song than the song of the world. Listen tonight, young people, if you struggle with bad music, if you, if you struggle being tempted, listen to the words of the song that you love and ask yourself if God would put his blessing on that kind of thing. That's one test for, what we ought, for the kinds of things that we enjoy in music. And so... The Spirit teaches the believer through singing. Through singing. There's, yeah, we, we gather in church. We, we don't just start with three songs because it's a form that we go through. It is worth something in worship. It is an offering to God. Singing is, is like bringing an offering to God. In olden days when you came in before a king, you didn't come empty-handed. You brought a gift. You don't come to a deity with empty hands, you come with a song. See, Psalm 95 says, come before his presence with singing. Bring him a gift. And singing is teaching. The Spirit teaches the believer through singing. The Spirit works in our hearts through singing. And encourages us. Tremendous power in song. I believe that Christian music, if you, if you look at the story of Saul, and Saul was struggling, 
with the evil spirit. And he called David to come and play. And as David played, the spirit fled. I believe that there's only two kinds of music in our world. One originates from the pit and takes us, when we listen to it and enjoy it, takes us into the presence of the powers of the pit. And the other is the music of heaven and takes us into the presence and power of the Almighty. There are only two kinds of music in our world today. When David sang, when the music of heaven touched Saul's soul, the demons could not stay. They fled. Whatever was tormenting him, they fled. I believe that as the world gets darker and darker, we need to understand the power of Christian song. Sometimes in temptation, maybe. Raise a song to God and the tempter flees. The Spirit of God can use the power of song. In fact, I forget the passage, but Elisha one day was asked to help an army that didn't have water. It's the story where he told them then to dig the ditches. And the water came and filled the ditches and the enemy nation saw the water in the morning and they thought it was blood. It's that story. If you read that, I don't have the reference here on my notes, but if you read that, when they came to Elisha for an answer, the prophet Elisha, the powerful man of God, he did not get down on his knees to pray. He called for a minstrel to sing. And while the singer sung, the word of God came to Elisha. This is what you shall do. The spirit of God gave the message to Elisha during a song. And I've experienced the spirit of God speak to me during a song. And so the spirit teaches a believer through singing. All right, the Spirit, number five, teaches the believer through preaching. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Apostle Paul, again, this is somewhat related to the teaching through the Word, but specifically related to preaching. God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to be the method to proclaim the gospel. And let's never move away from that. I believe in Sunday school and I believe in Bible studies and those kinds of things and counseling but let's be careful the bible says it's the foolishness of preaching that will save them that believe there's some power in preaching that god has chosen he said a worldly mind will reject it and say that's ridiculous but a mind who will believe says there it is that is truth and i will listen first corinthians chapter 2 verse 10 first of all but god hath revealed them unto us by his spirit for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but, <coughs> excuse me, but the Spirit of God. <clears throat> if you look at verse 4, Paul said, when I came to you, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom. I didn't have good speech. I didn't have flowery words. But it was in demonstration of the spirit and of power. And he said there's a reason for that. That your faith, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. I think we need to be careful. I think there's place for a speaker to be interesting to be uh, able to be understood, to be powerful, uh, to keep attention and those kind of things. But I, we need to be careful because the power is not in the presentation. The power is in the message. The power is in the verses. And we need to be careful with that. <clears throat> Demonstration of spirit and of power. In verse 8, he says, we should read this whole chapter, but we don't have time. Verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which this wisdom that we're preaching, none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That's a tremendous verse. What Paul reckons with is the fact that Satan thought he was out to destroy God's kingdom. And there on the day of Calvary, there on the day of crucifixion, 
what Satan thought he was destroying, he was actually helping to establish. The very thing that he thought he was crushing, he was putting into place to crush him. It's amazing that we serve a God who can, who can orchestrate evil men doing evil things that accomplish God's purposes and bring judgment on evil men. That's the power of God. Well, <clears throat> verse 13 which things also we speak not in the words which men's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And so, this is about preaching. This is about Paul preaching, Paul preaching the wisdom of God, preaching the Spirit of God, and Worldly people don't understand. They say it's ridiculous. They walk past and say, that's not for me. But a man after God, a man who will believe, says, I hear and I believe. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We'll come back here, I believe, in the next point for the, uh, another verse from chapter 2. But 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And this is the passage about speaking in tongues and and Paul is saying that prophecy is superior to speaking in tongues, which prophecy, <coughs> what he was talking about, is preaching. Teaching the word is superior to tongues. And listen to what he says in verse 24. But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. In a congregation, as the word of God is preached, and as an ungodly visitor comes in, he comes in, he's convinced, he's judged, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Tremendous power. Tremendous power. It reminds me of a... This wasn't a church service, but it reminds me of a street meeting in New York City. We often go and sing in the subway close to the church in the Bronx there. Usually Sunday morning we have a fellowship meal because a number of us drive into the city, so we eat lunch there. And then we often go in the afternoon and sing in the little subway station there where people go through. One day we were singing there in the subway station and a man came through. It's interesting to watch people's faces because some are hard brace themselves. Some are totally ignorant. They don't know what this is. They're just curious and you can tell there's really not much going on because they don't have any connection to it. Just a variety of responses. But this man came through and he steeled his face and he hurried through and he went to the stairs to go up to the next level to get the train on the next level going a different direction. And as he went up the stairs, he stopped on the railing, he hung on the railing and he stared at our group. I went over to offer him a CD of singing and said hello to him, and he didn't respond. And I thought maybe he's mentally out of it or demon-filled. Sometimes I get a little fearful in the city. Didn't know what I was looking at. And I said hello a second time. It's becoming a little uncomfortable. He said, oh, I'm sorry. And he said hi. And he said, are you Mennonites? Usually they say, who are you? And they might not even connect with the Mennonite word. But he said, are you Mennonites? I said, yes. He said, I was a little Mennonite boy from Iowa. And I ran away from home. I ran away from God. And I thought if I go to the big city, God could not find me. He said, I came through here and I... I, can't sta I couldn't stand what I heard because these are the songs that they sang in Sunday school. I gave him a CD. He took it. He had a tear in his eyes. He, he didn't really want to talk. He was processing a lot of things. We haven't seen him since. He has not called us. But I am convinced that the Spirit of God is following that man. Listen. He came through, it wasn't a church service, but the Spirit of God was present in song, got a hold of that man in a way he couldn't get away from it. And he was a man who thought by living in the city he could stay away from God and God couldn't find him. 
and God found him in the middle of New York City. I don't know if, if, I don't even know what song we were singing. It's possible it was one of his favorites as a little boy. I don't know. I also wonder, does he have a mother or a grandma somewhere praying for this wayward lad? I don't know. I don't know the story of his life, but it is highly possible that somewhere some relative was praying for him that day and the Spirit of God. Well, that's the subject of the Spirit guiding also. Talking about the Spirit teaches the believer through preaching the power of the Word and the place of the Word, yes, even in reaching those who are unchurched. The Spirit takes a message The Spirit takes a message and connects it to hearts in a variety of ways, in a variety of situations. It's amazing to me how you preach a message and and maybe I think here's two main points and then there's other little points and after the service somebody says thank you for this point. It really blessed my heart and I thought it was insignificant. I remember preaching not so long ago in New York City and I belabored a point about about relationships and I had no idea that morning that one of the ladies sitting in the audience one of the ladies from the city that attends regularly had just told one of our ministers wives that she's never coming back because she was hurt and offended and I talked about offenses and the fact that when offenses come it's often my heart's problem more than the other person's problem I had no clue that that situation was sitting there And this lady was saying amen the whole way through. And later I learned, and she said, thank you, the Spirit of God spoke to me, and and she she repented, and she kept coming to church. (laughs) The Spirit of God teaches through preaching. I I remember traveling into the city one day, one morning, Sunday morning, to preach. I was by myself, my family. Stayed home, went to our local congregation there, and I was feeling a little discouraged. Satan was buffeting me. I felt like the message that I had prepared for that morning was more for a Mennonite audience than for, than for people in the city. And I really was second-guessing why, why this message. I don't know if you preachers ever have faced that, but I felt terrible, and I prayed, and I wrestled. And I actually looked in my Bible if I didn't have another set of notes and what was there was worse than what I had prepared. And so I just said, Lord, you'll just have to take this, I don't know, whatever this bread is, and you'll have to do something with it. And it was, it was on the subject of running the race with patience. And it felt to me, driving in, it felt to me it was to Mennonite people to keep on faithfully enduring and not giving up. What does this have to do for city people? That morning there was about six or eight people there from the city. There was two men that were never there before. And after the service, both of those men talked to me and said, both of them, they didn't know each other. Each of those men came because they were just about ready to commit suicide. And they thought they should at least go to church before they end their life. Both of them told me, I'm not doing it. I will run the race. No, they didn't pray the sinner's prayer. They never returned. I don't know where they are. But it was a lesson to me never to doubt what the Spirit of God has given and, and share because the Spirit can use preaching. And I had never thought about the subject of suicide. In that message, that was a re- it was a surprise to me that they took that and connected to their life with suicide. That's the way the Spirit of God works. Teaches through preaching. Well, <clears throat> let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, we read some of these verses and then we stopped short of one verse that um, verse 15, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 15 says, but he that is spiritual, he that is spirit filled judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. I, I believe the sixth point is that the spirit teaches the believer through examination. This is about judging and he says that He that is spirit-filled, he that is spiritual, judges all things, but he's judged of no man. What's he saying? Well, if we judge ourselves, this word judge means to scrutinize, to examine, to interrogate, and to determine. 
Listen, if we allow the Spirit of God to judge us and examine us, if we look into the Word and we judge ourselves, we don't need someone else to judge us. It's like this. If I'm driving down the road and the speed limit is 55 and I'm doing 65, somebody needs to judge me, right? Somebody needs to, exa- somebody needs to call me into question because I'm not calling myself into question. Maybe my wife is sitting over there and sees the speedometer and she says, Honey, you're speeding. She's judging me, right? She's, exam- she's scrutinizing and saying, Do you want to be doing this? Suppose I say, nah, It's okay. And then the nicely painted car is sitting there to judge me. You know what? If I'd have judged myself, I wouldn't have needed my wife to say, You're over the speed limit. I wouldn't have needed the tripper to pull me off. You see, the message is that the spirit, he which is spiritual, is sensitive and looking and bringing himself in line with what's truth. And, and then you don't have anything to be afraid of. You don't have to drive watching behind the next curve. Who, you know, where is the trooper? Because you're at rest. And so the spirit teaches through examination. The spirit helps us to look within ourselves and examine ourselves. You go back to uh, 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says in verse 7, Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump. There's direction to a congregation to judge within the congregation. Purge out. In other words, be alert and examine. There's sin here. This can't be at, in the congregation. This can't be at the communion table. Well, 1 Corinthians 11 says, but let a man examine himself. That's what we do at council time. Let a man look at his life. So there's a responsibility I have to examine myself, and then there's a responsibility we have as a congregation to to examine and purge out leaven if there's a problem here to keep the communion table clean. The Spirit teaches through examination, shows us, Uh, What we are. If you look at verse 12 here in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within, but them that are without God judges. What he's saying is there's a responsibility we have to help one another as we look. And we don't like the word judging because, you know, Jesus said, Judge not that ye be not judged. But this is the subject of a brotherhood caring for one another. It's a subject of reproof. It's a subject of correction. It's a subject of encouragement and helping us on the straight and narrow way and keeping the communion table clean. And we have some responsibility to do that. And I believe that the Spirit teaches the believer through examination, self-examination. And as we look within during a preaching service, during Bible reading and prayer, at, at various points the Spirit says there. You see that? That needs to be taken care of. The last point. The spirit can be withstood and grieved. We're talking about the spirit grieving. The spirit teaching and the spirit accomplishing and the spirit ministering and the spirit convicting. But you know what? You and I have the ability to put off. And to grieve. First Thessalonians 5.19 says, Quench not the spirits. Ephesians 4.30, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. We see the personality of the Holy Spirit here, in that you can grieve Him. He's not just a force. He's a person. You can grieve Him. You can quench His work. You can say no to Him. Isn't it amazing That our almighty God, the only thing that can stop God's work in a way, it's hard to say this, but the only thing that can stop God's work is my will. Now, I know that God works and moves and God in his sovereignty can move things to accomplish his will. But God has decided that he will not step over our individual will. And so God has a plan in place for my life, but if I say, no, God, I'm not going there, he'll stop. He'll stop. 
Yes, he'll continue to work. See, I think uh, I heard this song recently about um, the hornets uh, in the land of Israel. Um, I forget how that song goes, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't make up their mind, but he'd, he'd make them willing to go with, with the hornets. And sometimes God works that way. He doesn't make the decision for us, but he makes it so painful otherwise that we decide we're going to do this. <laughs> the spirit can be withstood and grieved. Acts chapter 7, verse 51. Stephen said, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. That's pretty serious condemnation, resisting the Holy Spirit. Hebrews talks about this sore punishment. Suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. The Spirit of God teaches a believer, but he needs our cooperation. He needs us to listen. He needs us to open our heart. He needs us to look into his word. He needs us to have a tenderness. He needs a response on our part. Because he will not force us. And so tonight I trust that we are finding the, um, our place and being taught by the Spirit of God. And that we are rejoicing as we understand what it means to walk in the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit. And be able to understand at least in part some of the truths of God that bless our soul. Shall we kneel for prayer?